Support for Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully, so you can be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. It's Thursday, June 7th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Jason Moser. Happy Thursday. Hey now. You ready for the weekend? I am. I'm always ready for the weekend, though. You know, I mean, you know what? You had a pretty nice weekend <laughs> last weekend. Listen, I'm still kind of on weekend time. Um, yeah, I was I was down in Georgia last weekend, and unfortunately, you know, I had to I had to miss Full Fest. That was not really intentional. The plans were made far in advance. I just didn't realize the two would mesh up. So I was sorry to miss that. But you know, anytime I get a chance to go play golf with my dad, I like to take it. And we were down in Georgia uh, on Sea Island, where I had never been before, and it's pretty. Nice. It's pretty hot too. Uh, we've got retail earnings. We've got chip earnings. We've got a very interesting letter from Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon, and we're going to get to all those. Let's start though uh, with consumer goods. Uh, you can hear the resignation in my voice. <laughs> J.M. Smucker, fourth quarter profits and revenue came in lower than expected. Uh, their guidance for the new fiscal year was weak. The stock is down about five percent. This this whole industry is in the doghouse right now. Consumer goods is just the worst right now. <laughs> it's not good. I mean, uh, I I'd basically I'd put companies like this in the same category as actual grocery stores. I mean, Smucker is responsible for a lot of the stuff that you find in the grocery store, right? And, and so I'd put them kind of in the same category as in in regard to whether you want to invest in them or not. Uh, and I, I personally just have no interest in investing in them. And I think there are a number of reasons why. One of which it's not a business where there's a lot of pricing power, really at all. I mean, I think maybe a time ago there was when there perhaps was some brand loyalty. And I don't think there is as much brand loyalty today. There are a lot of alternatives coming on the market, particularly with like naturals and organics. So, you know, what you've seen with companies like Smucker is they start facing these challenges growing their top line. Um, in order to do that, they they try to maybe make some acquisitions here and there, uh, but ultimately that doesn't really pan out. I mean, acquisition uh, is always a risky strategy, and and then it becomes more and more difficult for them to bring that down to the bottom line, and that's what we're seeing really. I mean, adjusted operating income for the quarter was up just three percent, and you can see sort of the stretch of top line challenges they've had over the past five six years. And we've seen this with other consumer goods, sort of consumer staples companies. The the one thing that makes me wonder about Smucker is they've got coffee and they've got pet food. And we've talked before about sure. how the pet food industry, the pet care industry, like these these are generally uh rewarding investments. And so the fact that they've got look, if if the only thing Smucker was relying on to drive their sales was just sort of the basic, you know, the peanut butter and jelly that I find in the grocery store and you know, vegetable oil and all that sort of thing. I would understand this. The fact that they've got pet food and and had to integrate that acquisition, the fact that they've got coffee and and they're not really making that work. That makes me wonder if there's also some operational difficulties within the company beyond just sort of the fact that this is a tough industry to invest in right now because uh, 
this shouldn't be happening across the board. You wouldn't think, and I, I do think that in the coffee segment, you know, they, what they 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 own some brands, they license a lot of stuff too. I mean, they license Dunkin' Donuts, uh, I think the the, the K cups or pods or whatever. And and when it comes to pet food, I mean, I think Milk Bone is one that they uh, either own or license. But but regardless, I think when you look at coffee, that's an extremely challenging market, just because we know the big players in that space. If I'm going to invest in coffee, I'm just going to buy stock in Starbucks and or Dunkin' Donuts and just call it a day, right? I don't think Folgers is a very compelling name in this space anymore, and that has historically been sort of Smucker's strong brand. So they have a lot of brands that we're familiar with, but they're becoming a bit antiquated and a bit, uh, I guess, irrelevant. Well, and one other thing in the coffee space, and this is not a public company, but JAB Holding. Yeah. Which has methodically snapped up a bunch of caribou coffee, uh, Pete's coffee, I think, yeah. as well. Um, they've snapped up a bunch of, of different, and that's JAB is a big player in this industry as well. It is, and yeah, maybe maybe irrelevant was a strong word for me to use, but I guess when you just go back to that idea that there's so many substitutes out there, and, and even go to the private brand. Uh, Market there, and look at what Amazon, for example, is doing with that Whole Foods acquisition and the investments it's making in the 365 private brand. I think they see a big opportunity there in developing this really quality, reputable private label brand. That I mean, it doesn't really it doesn't make you think private label brand from the very start, right? And I think Whole Foods did a good job early on in developing that. Um, when you look at Smucker. I mean, you're right. There are some operational problems there. They've talked about for 2019, they had an investor conference back in February. They were talking about some elevated capital expenditures coming this year as they're going to try to right the ship here and sort of whittle down the business to its core operating successes and sort of unload the dead weight, so to speak. So, when you look at that, and then you look at the fact that if you take this past fiscal year's normalized earnings, the stock's trading at around 15 times those normalized earnings, which in an environment where the tide the tide is just lifting all boats, um, I I don't like I look at a business like that and I it sounds kind of cheap, but really when you consider the challenges it has out in front of it, I would much rather pay up considerably more for a company like McCormick, for example, where I think there is more brand loyalty, I think there is more pricing power, and then on top of that, you know McCormick. I mean, man, they're a dividend aristocrat, right? So you're you're going to have the reliability there with a business, whereas Smuckers, they're they're dealing with some challenges. I think that's reflected in the stock price, but but again, I don't know those challenges are so easily addressed. And again, it just kind of goes back to that core assumption that it's such a difficult market. I just don't know that I'm all that interested in it in the first place. Let's move on to retail and Five Below. Their first quarter profits and revenue looked good. You tell me how. Good, this actually was because shares of Five Below are up twenty two percent this morning. That's that's a that's a good day. <laughs> that's a really good day, that's and good you day. know there was there was some guidance along with that as well. But is this warranted? Um, I think probably. I mean, I, I kind of look at this. I think you know there are few things that we can count on in life, right? I mean, there's death, taxes. Facebook selling its users out to unload data in the name of profits. Hey now, um, it's seemingly an endless and insatiable appetite for just crap. <laughs> I mean, and that let's be clear, man, that really is what five five below is. I mean, I was just in there. Probably it's inexpensive though. It is, and that's just it. And I think that that's goes the to best kind that of. goes to the strength that I'm going to touch on in a minute because it's for me personally. I'm not really a clutter kind of guy. There's I, there's some things I'm sentimental about, but really I try to keep the clutter to a minimum. I'm not into 
you know, the stuff that Five Below is selling. So, therefore, from an investment perspective, it's not really what I would be interested in. But I say that I do see why this is actually working out as a decent investment. And if you look at the five-year chart, that actually is working out. And I think a lot of a lot of it is just what you keyed in on. There is it's cheap, and I think they've done a very good job of of basically identifying that and saying, listen, we're very specifically, this is what we do. And a lot of times, you probably don't even go in there knowing specifically what you want. You're just kind of on a treasure hunt or whatever. I mean, I took I took my girls there probably a month ago, and I just you know I walked around the store and I thought you know this isn't the kind of thing that interests me, but I can see why it would interest younger folks. You get the appeal. Yeah, I get the appeal. Um, and so from that perspective, I mean, listen, I, I started looking at sort of the way. One of the things I thought was really interesting to look at is just from an inventory perspective. Because the stuff they're selling is so cheap, there's kind of a limited inventory risk there. In other words, they're not going to be subject probably to writing off a bunch of inventory because it's kind of worthless already. And I mean, I say that sort of tongue in cheek, but it really kind of is. It's not the inventory that they have just doesn't cost a lot. And so if you look historically, uh, five and below, their inventory is around 30% of assets on their balance sheet. Whereas if you look at something like Bed Bath and Beyond, Another store that sells a lot of crap. That's more like forty percent of assets. And then if you look at how that translates down to the gross margin line for a company like Five uh, Five Below, their gross margin is closer to sixty percent. Where something like Bed Bath and Beyond, they're they're kind of in that upper thirties. So I don't think Five and Below has or Five Below has any pricing power, so to speak. But they don't need it because they've clearly laid out the proposition there to begin with. And so then the question is, you just have to ask yourself, how far can this go? How much can they grow? And that's that's I'm just not sure. So right now, Five Below has about 650 stores. Yeah, they say they can get to 2,500. That's a lot. That, in my experience, when we see companies making those forecasts, they're they're almost always too ambitious. And so I basically approach those forecasts and try to take about 70 percent of it. I was just going to say because we've talked before about. Restaurant chains that have ambitions to grow, and I, I think in the past we we've tend to look at them in that way. Well, they've got X right now. They think they can get to four X or five X. Well, even if they get to two or three X, that's still you know that's still pretty decent growth beyond where they are right now. And that's when I heard that this morning, I just thought, wow, twenty five hundred seems high, but even if they get to you know, fifteen hundred. That's that's you know two and a half from where they are right now, roughly. Yeah, and I just think it's a safe rule of thumb for investors. Whenever you look at these companies where they're trying to, you know, talking about how how much they think they can grow that footprint, don't take that at face value. Sort of scrutinize that a little bit. Think about it from the perspective. You know, we are kind of in an e-commerce world now. I mean, are they really selling a revolutionary product, or are they just kind of selling a neat sort of experience that you know a lot of people in the in a, cons- a, a country that is very sort of consumer driven, uh, you know, works on that. I, I think maybe twenty five hundred. You said, yeah. I think that's probably a lot. I, I didn't say that. They said. <laughs> they that. said. I mean, yeah. I, I I'd probably I probably cut that in half. In all honesty, and value the stock based on that. Uh, quick shout out to Rocket Mortgage uh, for sponsoring today's episode. Uh, getting a mortgage, refinancing your existing home loan. These are not easy things. These are not fun things. Uh, and when you're making a big financial decision like that, you want to be as confident as you are in your everyday life. And Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence 
when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple. It allows you to fully understand all the details so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. Imagine that. Imagine actually understanding all the details. Unlike, say, I don't know, when you click the box that says, sure, I agree to these terms. <laughs> Uh, you know, on uh, I don't why know, not any number of any number of things like we saw recently with the whole uh, GDPR and all oh, of the t- yeah. every single one of us got that flood of emails like we're we're updating our terms and it's like fine I fine great go yeah, for it tell me you understand that yes to get started go to rocketmortgage.com/fool equal housing lender licensed in all fifty states NMLS consumeraccess.org number thirty thirty. Let's move on to Amberella, uh, which is the video processing chip company. And first quarter results were, wow, not good. And and the stock has bounced back, um, but it. I mean, it's had it's had a rough twenty four hours. And you tell me, in the same way that when we were talking about five below, and my question was basically, well, this was a good quarter. Was this? 22 percentage points good? <laughs> That's sort of my question for Amberella. Is this stock dropping 13% in one fell swoop bad, or is this maybe a slight overreaction? Well, I, so I, I don't think there was really anything unexpected from their earnings release, and so that's why you probably see a bit more of a muted reaction, I think, on the stock, at least. You know, it's not, it's not seeing a five below type of, of move one way or the other. But I mean, there's just not a lot, lot, not a lot of surprises here. I mean, it's just very tough to get worked up for this one because we know a lot, uh, a lot more now than we than we knew before. And for a time, um, a couple of years ago, we carried a small starter position in Umbrella in million dollar portfolio, and and you know that was a fixed money portfolio. So we sort of approached it from we'd start a small position and then we'd sort of determine if it's really one that we want to. Uh, Add to and build over time, or is the company just not really meeting its its full potential? And then we would just cut it loose, and we ended up cutting Amberella loose shortly after we bought it. And there were just a lot of of trends in the numbers that caused our concern, and we're still seeing that today. The top line is challenged. If you can't grow sales in an environment like this, which is very tech driven environment. And you're and you're sort of a chip provider, which is basically what Amberella is, is a chip provider in in the video space. They're falling under that squeeze where they can't get the same pricing, and so consequently, you see margins taking a beating. And it seems to it seems like it reminds me a lot of what we saw with Invincence a number of years back, which I'm sure a lot of people out there are familiar with Invincence. Similar story. Ultimately, was acquired by TDK. Shareholders ended up losing in that deal, and it just—it seems like Amberella is—is sort of—it's—it's it's working out this very same way. Which um, I—I I would not recommend buying it. I mean, I think if you look at their research and development alone in 2014, it was 30 percent of revenue. Today, it's over 40 percent. That's in the face of declining revenue. So they're spending more, and making less, and that's never good. A couple of things with. Uh Warren Buffett and, and Jamie Dimon in the news today. One, uh, along with Jeff Bezos, um, uh, they mentioned that they've they've decided on who their CEO is going to be for the new uh, the new healthcare company. Yeah, they they're I think they said something like, "Well, we're still you know, tying up a few loose ends, but uh, but so I, I guess that announcement is coming soon." How uh, many people do you think immediately just said Howard Schultz? 
Howard Schultz? <laughs> how many? Just given what we know with Schultz stepping down, how to, many people, to run a healthcare company? I'm just saying. I, I think Howard Schultz has made it pretty clear that he's <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's not looking to run another company. I think he's looking to you know maybe move to 1600 uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. I'm not saying I agree with it. I just wonder how many people immediately defaulted to that because of the timing of the situation. Oh, I immediately defaulted to Christine Hargis. <sighs> Um, who hosts a worthy the, choice. the healthcare episode a worthy of choice. Focus, and you know she's. Uh, I saw her this morning. She, you know, she was uh, being. Uh, she was playing her cards pretty close to the vest. So <laughs> I'm of a strong opinion that a woman should fill this role, because I think that a a woman in this position would have the, she would have the wherewithal, the long term focus, the equanimity to be able to approach this. Uh, without getting too worked up one way or the other, being able to see the forest for the trees. I, I do hope a woman fills that role. Well, I mean, given what we know about certainly Buffett and Bezos, and I would add Jamie Dimon in that as well, what yeah. we know about the three of them and how they, uh, how they feel about long-term thinking, um, presumably whoever they pick is is going to have that quality and long term thinking goes to the other reason that Buffett and Diamond are in the the news today and it is this uh, op-ed piece they wrote in the the Wall Street Journal uh, entitled short termism is harming the economy and the headline i mean that's the headline really the headline should be we don't think companies should give earnings guidance anymore do you agree with that yeah, I do. In short, I do. I think uh, one of the one of the weirdest things to come to grips with for investors who are new to investing is to see this expectations game being played. You wonder why it's being done. How in the world can companies be so accurate to predict their earnings down to a penny? Uh, and, and furthermore, what's the disparity between what Wall Street expects versus what the company is telling you they expect? Because there's always a battle sort of there as well. And um, I, I, so I agree. I think that's one of the things that confounds most new event, uh, new investors and, and, and some old. We'll see companies release earnings, and it seems like a great quarter and great guidance, and then the stock tanks, and you're thinking. What just happened? It, I don't get it. Uh, so for me, I, I like that they were saying it was just the earnings forecast, not the transparency. Earnings for sure. Fine, right? Exactly. They're still they're still all for transparency. Hey, tell us how the business is doing. File your SEC filings, your 10Ks, whatever. Um, but on a quarter by quarter basis, yeah, I think it just is. I think it's more or less unnecessary. And it certainly isn't in line with the way we invest here, which is obviously more business focused. And you know, if you think about Diamond and Buffett, um, uh, you know, obviously Berkshire Hathaway, they they put they file their quarterly paperwork with the SEC, and that's it. They don't do conference calls. J.P. Morgan, I'm, I'm pretty sure does calls. I don't know if Diamond himself is on them, although I think he is. He does. Sometimes he gets pretty uh, hot yeah. under the collar. Yeah, I was going to say. I know. I seem to recall some entertaining. <laughs> and to whip out the edit button maybe once or twice. Yeah. Um, so so they they in their own business practices they diverge on that, but I think that they are clearly in lockstep in terms of public company CEOs. Are under varying degrees of pressure, and one of those pressures is earnings guidance. And if they remove that, 
from their playbook and just say, we're, we're still going to do the quarterly calls, we're still going to do all this other stuff, we're just not going to do earnings guidance, then not only would it presumably stabilize what's happening with their stock, but also it would, and this is one of the things they get to in the letter, um, it would remove pressure to make short-term moves. Because yeah. there are absolutely, I mean, come on, we know that there are plenty of CEOs, and who can blame them, really, for saying, well, instead of taking this amount of money and putting it towards this long-term investment, which we think is going to benefit our company and our shareholders over the next 10 years, if we dial that investment back and pour it over here, well, that's that's going to juice our earnings for the next quarter, and that's going to that, and we need that. Yeah, or yeah, we're going to buy back a little bit more stock just to tack on a few pennies per share, and then that'll appease Wall Street. And and I also, I mean, to be clear here, I think in a perfect world this works. If companies stopped issuing that guidance, I don't think that necessarily implies that Wall Street would stop. Making their projections, so there's still going to be a problem there. And in Wall Street's just that's that's what that's how that game works there. I mean that's what they do. Uh, but from the company perspective, I think it frees them up to make better long-term focused decisions. In in uh, I, I would certainly be on board with that. By the way, who was it? was it Ford or GM who came out earlier this year? And I think it was GM who came out and said, "We're done issuing monthly sales figures. We're not. We're, we're not doing that anymore." It sounds like it would have been a GM thing, yeah. if I recall correctly. But I'd have to make sure of that. Yeah, I, I, I like I, that. I'm okay with it. I mean, it, it, we complain about quarterly. Now you want to go to monthly? I mean, start telling me what's happening daily. Let's just have a, <laughs> let's have a conference call every morning at six o'clock, right? You know, I mean, it's a uh, at some point. You just have to let the business be the business, right? Knowing that you, in most cases, you feel like you've invested in good leadership teams that are running a good business with a good future. And if you do that, no, it doesn't work every time. But if you approach it from that perspective, it works more times than not. And the longer you stretch out your timeline, the data, there's plenty of data out there to show you that basically the risk of you losing money is zero. If you if you take the longer timeline, so if that's what we do, and it, and it seems to be working out. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.